This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 24 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 16th of November 2019 and I'm your host Matt Graham. In this episode, travel agent Alan Lamb is back to discuss everything you need to know about married segments, as well as recent changes to the Qantas Frequent Flyer and United Mileage Plus programs, an unusual way to fly with Qantas to London, and lots more. It's coming up, but first, here's what's making news in the world of airlines and points this fortnight. And Qantas has committed to reducing the airline's carbon emissions to zero net emissions by 2050. Qantas will also now match all of its passengers' carbon offset contributions and invest $50 million in the development of sustainable aviation fuels over the next 10 years. It comes as the aviation industry is increasingly recognising its contribution to climate change and the need to create a more sustainable industry. The global aviation industry contributes around 2% of global carbon emissions. Meanwhile, the second of three Qantas Project Sunrise marketing flights touched down in Sydney yesterday, having flown from London to Sydney non-stop. Of course, the carbon emissions from this flight were fully offset. Velocity Frequent Flyer is now partnering with Optus. New Optus customers and those recontracting can now earn up to 40,000 bonus velocity points with selected Optus plans until the 9th of December. This month, Velocity Frequent Flyer is also offering 15-30% to bonus points when you transfer points from selected credit cards, hotel programs and flybys to Velocity. If you're returning home to Melbourne with an empty fridge, you can now pre-order your groceries before you land and then pick them up at Melbourne Airport. Coles has installed click-and-collect lockers outside Terminal 4 at Melbourne Airport. The service is free for Coles Online customers, but there is a minimum order of $50. Speaking of Melbourne Airport, the Victorian government has supported a reintroduction of the ban on taxi touts in the state of Victoria, including at Melbourne Airport. The issue was discussed in the Victorian Parliament this week, and the ban should be in force by the end of this year. Virgin Australia is axing flights from Melbourne to Hong Kong from February of next year, citing weak demand and a lack of profitability. Virgin will retain its daily Sydney to Hong Kong service, however, which is currently running alongside the Melbourne service. The Airbus A330, which is coming off the Melbourne to Hong Kong route, will be redeployed on Virgin's new Brisbane Haneda flights, which begin next March. Tickets for Virgin's flights to Tokyo will go on sale in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, Qantas will be axing Sydney to Beijing flights from the end of March next year. Qantas is also citing weak demand, particularly for business class, as capacity in the market continues to grow. Jetstar next month will cease its own flight to China from Melbourne to Zhengzhou, which will leave Qantas's Sydney to Shanghai flight as the only route between Australia and mainland China, which is now served by an Australian carrier. Yet there are hundreds of flights per week, between many cities across Australia and China served by Chinese carriers. Qantas is also downgrading some of its flights from Sydney to Hong Kong during December from Airbus A380s to smaller Boeing 747s as the protests in Hong Kong continue to weaken demand. And Uber has launched its own rewards program, offering Uber passengers points and status levels. 
To be honest, the program seems a little bit underwhelming, but if you are using the Uber service regularly, it's a nice little extra that you didn't get before, I guess. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, be sure to subscribe to the Australian Frequent Fly Gazette or follow us on Facebook. If you've ever tried to make a complex booking using your frequent flyer points, there's a good chance you'll have come across the concept of marriage segments. Marriage segments are used by airlines to control the number of seats it sells on flights, but for frequent flyers, they can be extremely frustrating. Sometimes, for example, you'll find an award seat on a flight that you want to book, only to find that it's, that it's not actually available if you add on a connecting flight to your final destination. Married segments are also why airlines will sometimes charge you a higher amount if you remove one or more flights from your booking. My guest on today's episode is friend of the show, Alan Lamb, who is a travel agent that uh, goes by the handle of Mad Rooster on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum. In this interview, we cover a range of topics, including married segments and fare classes, um, but we also discuss some of the recent changes across a range of different frequent flyer programs, including Qantas uh, Frequent Flyer and United Mileage Plus. And we'll talk about an unusual way to get from Australia to London with Qantas, which could actually work out cheaper than flying direct through Perth or Singapore with Qantas. I'll be back after this short break with today's interview. Hi, this is Clifford Reichland from the Australian Frequent Flyer. I know that many of you have already registered on our website, but for those of you who haven't, do you know that as a registered member, you can fully participate in our discussion forums, send messages to other AFF members, access our services such as Flight Tracker for tracking your flights, and you see fewer advertisements. And the best part is that our basic membership is 100% free. To register, simply go to australianfrequentflyer.com.au slash register, choose your account type, and then register. Simple as that. Joining me on this fortnight's episode, once again, is Alan Lamb from NetWave Travel. And Alan, uh, you may recall, is also Mad Rooster on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum. Welcome back to the podcast, Alan. I'm at. And in this episode, one of the things I wanted to talk about was fair classes and also married segments. And I wanted to start with fair classes. At a basic level, could you just explain to our listeners who might not be aware um, what a fair class is? Okay, so um, within airline inventory, you have your class of service, such as like first class, business class, premium economy, and economy. And within each of those cabins, uh, the airline will divide up their inventory up into uh, multiple buckets. So each of those buckets will have a different letter um, attached to it. It's a bit like thinking um, as a kid, you might have you know, multiple different uh, colors of marbles. So you might have blue marbles, red marbles, yellow marbles, green marbles, purple marbles, and so forth. Um, and if you were to sell those marbles to your friends, you'd be selling them. You know, your blue marbles might be uh, $1. You know, your red marbles might be $2. Your yellow marbles might be $3, and so forth. And essentially, that's how airlines are managing their inventory. They um, will attach different letters to different buckets um, of seats and they may move seats accordingly between different buckets if need be and so forth. The lower the fare class uh, in the, uh, la- the ladder of buckets, um, generally that means it's a, a lower yielding bucket um, as far as the airline is concerned. So 
obviously, if you're selling marbles to your friend for a dollar, um, your return on your marbles is obviously only a dollar and not, say, it could be, say, $10 for in a higher bucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in a situation like that, uh, obviously, the higher buckets will be more rewarding. Um, they earn more for the airline, so there's more uh, margin for the airline to be paying out more points or more benefits and so forth. Yeah, and so like I guess some of the higher fare classes have come with more flexibility or they're, they're upgradable and that kinds of things. Um, but at the same time, some of the lower fare classes may not earn any frequent flyer points and status credits, which is something that catches out uh, people quite a bit. Do you know any examples of this? Specifically in the case of uh, Qantas Frequent Flyer, there's cases such as uh, some of the discount uh, classes on Cathay Pacific, uh, Qatar Airways. I think some of the other uh, smaller carriers may also have su- something similar. Uh, so in the uh, Qatar Airways, Cathay Pacific are quite common examples in Australia. Um, a lot of their sale fares, for example, on Cathay Pacific book into, say, O-Class, uh, which is their bottom bucket, or Q-Class or N-Class or S-Class. And those are known as, their sale, known as their sale buckets. These buckets uh, don't earn anything at all uh, at Qantas Frequent Flyer, but do actually earn in Cathay Pacific's own program, Asia Miles. Um, this is similar with Qatar Airways. Qatar Airways, uh, everything below the V-Class bucket, is uh, non-earning to Qantas Frequent Flyer, but to their own um, program, it is uh, it does earn, and to an extent, I believe it also earns to some of the other One More programs as well. Mm. And I believe that Malaysia Airlines also has a similar thing when you're crediting to Qantas Frequent Flyer. That's correct. I believe from memory, I think it's S-Class or N-Class and below that doesn't earn uh, to uh, Qantas Frequent Flyer. Yeah, and then also, I've also seen like on some routes where Qantas competes with Malaysian airlines, like for example, Australia to Malaysia or Malaysia to London. Uh, if you're booking a business or first class ticket, it actually credits as, or first suites now, I should say, um, it credits as a flexible economy fare at a much lower earning rate. So that's also something that catches people out a lot of the time. Uh, when you're booking these flights, how can you actually check what fare class you're booking and how can you check what that's going to earn with Qantas Frequent Flyer or with any other Frequent Flyer program? Unfortunately, a lot of airline websites are actually um, quite poor at uh, telling you what fare class that you're actually booking in. Um, Cathay Pacific's website, for example, is a bit better at that. Um, their website's actually quite good in telling you what fare class you're booking into. Same with Qatar. Uh, Qantas notably doesn't tell you what fare class you're booking into at all. Um, and often you know, uh, savvy frequent flyers may find ways to find that in the website code. But at the end of the day, I think this, should, this is something that should definitely be displayed so that, you know, it's quite clear to um, passengers exactly what they're getting into. Yeah, but if, if you do um, or if you are able to work out the fare class, you can go on to, I think it's the Qantas website, go on to the Qantas Frequent Flyer site and uh, there are some tables for all of their partner airlines, right? That's correct. All right. Now, now that we've got a bit of an understanding of what fare classes actually are, um, it's worth talking, I think, about some of the recent changes to um, the earning rates on American Airlines if you're crediting to Qantas Frequent Flyer and also uh, in the other direction if you're crediting a Qantas flight to the American Airlines Advantage program. And these changes are actually quite beneficial for uh, for frequent flyers. Um, uh, and it's, it's all in the context of the recent joint venture that's been approved between Qantas and American. So, Alan, can you just explain, yeah, what's um, what's changed? Some of the classes that uh, used to earn less on Qantas uh, now earn more. And for the, uh, for the vast majority of cases, I think pretty much everyone earn, would be earning more now under the, uh, the new earning amounts. Sorry, rates, I should say. Um, so, back in, I believe it was 2017, uh, Qantas, as part of their joint venture uh, application to the US, uh, they cut the earning rates on a lot of uh, routes within the US, and a lot of the classes got 
uh, cut quite significantly. So like some routes would earn about half the number of status credits uh, compared to what they did prior to that. So essentially what Qantas and American have uh, recently done is restored those earning rates to what they previously used to be before the joint venture application. And so the earn rates between, uh, say, for example, Australia and the US uh, for, say, Sydney, Los Angeles are now basically the same, no matter if you fly American or if you fly Qantas. And uh, does this mean it's now better value to take a status run uh, around the United States flying on American Airlines? Unfortunately, that boat has sailed or that uh, plane has left the gate, uh, so to speak. American, did uh, as after they... Uh, cut the earn rates back in 2017. Uh, they also, ch- a lot of their fares uh, underwent a lot of changes. And so whilst a lot of the fares became cheaper, at the same time, they added a lot more restrictions to their business class fares. And so their business class fares used to allow um, essentially unlimited transfers, which meant that you could um, go from A to B and fly as many flights as you could possibly cram in in the distance allowed. Um, unfortunately, that's no longer allowed. Uh, pretty much all American airlines fares uh, that are short haul fares only allow three flights per direction now and so therefore that quite severely limits you in terms of the number of uh, the number of status credits you could possibly get oh interesting i didn't realize that so i, I did know that um like for example the american airlines first class fares as of a few years ago now is now earn at business class rates which is a bit of a cut and then at the same time as they made that change they also reduced the earn and i mean well the earn uh, in some for some flights and uh, between certain places and for certain distances within the US now earn more than they did a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, it is a bit of a shame that they've changed the fare rules. Another change that we've seen recently was with Japan Airlines. Um, so I believe they've cha- made some changes to their business and premium economy fares. Uh, not so much their fares that have changed. Uh, it's more the uh, fare, uh, fare buckets or fare classes that they're actually using now. And so uh, Japan Airlines recently... Whilst they haven't actually changed their business class uh, fare classes, uh, they for some reason they've decided to remap um, business class, uh, well their discount business class, which is high class, from um, being an economy uh, level earn at Qantas Frequent Flyer to uh, business class where it, where it should rightfully be. Uh, another change that's recently been made by Japan Airlines is uh, R class used to actually be an economy class uh, that Japan Airlines very rarely used or virtually never used uh, and that's now been repurposed into a, a premium economy or a mid-range premium economy fare bucket so now pre, uh, japan airlines now has three premium economy buckets um, w which is their f- uh, fully flex bucket i suppose and r class is kind of their middle uh, bucket but they also uh, have retained the original e bucket and moved that down to a discount premium economy uh, fare level uh, out of australia at the moment we still haven't seen any e-class fares uh, show up uh, what used to be the old E-class fares have been remapped into R-class fares, uh, so there's no real change in fare levels or anything like that, uh, just that the class has gone up. The positive in that is that, uh, from what I've seen so far, is that R-class seems to be a bit more plentiful than what E-class used to be, and so uh, the advantage there is that it is uh, a bit easier to book a premium economy fare on JL now. Okay, yeah. And we, we did see um, very recently that um, Japan Airlines introduced some very, very good premium economy fares to Europe, um, which booked into our class um, out of, I believe, Sydney. And if they have premium economy on the route to Melbourne, then also out of Melbourne, and those are around what's $2,400, $2,500 return in premium economy to Europe. So that's that was a very good fare. These premium economy fares um, that JL have to Europe uh, are actually year-round fare. Uh, so these fares are definitely quite good value. Uh, unfortunately, the catch with these is that the transit times in Tokyo are, aren't 
um, aren't exactly crash hot. And so therefore, depending on which uh, origin you're coming from in Australia, you may find that you might have quite a lengthy transit or you might need to uh, change airports in Japan. But uh, for travelers who love Japan and are happy to stop in Tokyo for a few days, there may actually uh, be quite a good fare for them uh, to take to go to Europe. Um, and as Matt was saying, these fares tend to be going for about uh, $2,500 return. Uh, and these do include the, the Australian domestic to get you to jails, uh, gateway ports in Australia, which is Sydney and Melbourne. So if you, uh, even if you're coming from Perth, the Perth, Melbourne or Perth, Sydney is also covered. Uh, same if you're coming from Darwin, Brisbane, Canberra, uh, Hobart, even Adelaide, most of the major ports are covered. Oh, that's fantastic. And as, as Bronwyn was saying when I had her on a couple of episodes ago, uh, stopping over in Tokyo is no hardship at all. I'd be quite happy with one of those tickets over to Europe. Um, and another change we've seen recently is Alaska Airlines has actually cut the number of, uh, I guess, mileage plan miles that you can earn on Qantas flights for a lot of the um, economy fare classes. What's happened with Alaskan? I think it's more of a more of a realignment of um, what everyone is uh, allowing earn-wise uh, for Qantas flights. I mean, for, for the large part, we've seen the same earn rates uh, that Alaska is now doing. And generally for the sale, uh, the sale buck, fare buckets that uh, Qantas has, so OQN, um, these are now earning at uh, quite a low rate at uh, 25% uh, of the flow mileage. And that's in line with what AA um, lets you earn and uh, to an extent similar to what Qantas would also let you earn on their own program as well. And if you look at other programs like BAE and so forth, uh, it's quite similar. It's about uh, 25% as well. Yeah, so I guess for those discount economy fares, the earn rates previously on Alaskan mileage plan were quite generous. So I guess that's, as you say, just bringing it down to what um, is pretty much the industry standard now. Um, before we move on to the next section, I just wanted to briefly mention that you can now book premium economy awards on uh, American Airlines using Qantas uh, frequent flyer points and also use American Airlines Advantage miles to book premium economy awards on Qantas flights and other One World partners. Yes, that's a very recent change as of... Uh about a few weeks ago. Uh, so now American Airlines has now released a premium economy award chart. Um, and so therefore you can now book um, premium premium economy awards on both American as well as uh, partner carriers using Advantage Miles. In the opposite direction, uh, you can now use, uh, say, Qantas Frequent Flight Points or Cathay Pacific Asia Miles and so forth to book um, premium economy awards on AA. Oh, that's excellent. And can you do that online? Uh, the changes are still happening, I believe. Uh, I know BA, for example, uh, their premium economy awards are now bookable on the AA website, and I believe they're still in the process of adding the others like uh, Qantas and uh, sorry, Qantas and Cathay Pacific, Japan Airlines, and so forth. Uh, I believe that's a work in progress, so it, it may may be another month or two before we see those uh, come online on the AA website. Okay. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about with you, Alan, was this concept of married segments. Now, married segments is probably a term that most travellers would not have heard of, but most travel agents would have nightmares over it, <laughs> I would imagine. Uh, married segments, I guess, firstly, what are they, Alan? So a married segment uh, in, uh, in airline inventory use, uh, essentially what that allows an airline to do is uh, they look at their inventory as far as uh, origin and destination. So basically what that means is they don't really look at what the inventory is uh, in the context of what's in the middle. So for example, if you're going Sydney to Brisbane to Los Angeles, they they see that as an origin destination of Sydney, Los Angeles, as far as the yield is concerned, uh, rather than what it used to be where they'd look at Sydney, Brisbane, as well as Sydney, Los Angeles. 
there are some positives and some negatives in regards to married segments. So uh, an example of a positive might be, say, for example, um, there's a grand final in Melbourne. Um, and so Sydney, Melbourne might be um, quite full. You know, like it might be, every class might be full up until, say, uh, B class or Y class, which is uh, just about a fully flexible fare on Qantas Domestic. However, um, Qantas might see that, say, you want to go uh, Sydney, Los Angeles, and it happens to be school holidays at the same time. So Sydney, Los Angeles might also be quite full. So in a situation where Sydney, Los Angeles might be quite full, but say Melbourne, Los Angeles is quite empty because say the Victorian school holidays don't line up with the New South Wales school holidays, um, you may find a situation where Qantas, in terms of the inventory, will go, well, Melbourne, Los Angeles is quite empty and we'd rather uh, pick up a passenger for the Melbourne, Los Angeles. So we'll throw in the Sydney, Melbourne in order to get the passenger down to Melbourne to take the, the Melbourne, Los Angeles. In order to do that, they would show you uh, availability. If you search for Sydney, Los Angeles and tell it that you uh, tell the system that you want to go by Melbourne, uh, it will say, well, yes, you can have um, uh, even the bottom O class, for example, on the Sydney, Melbourne, if you're connecting to Melbourne, Los Angeles. However, if there was no married segments involved, um, then if you looked at Sydney, Melbourne, it'd be quite expensive because there's no O class available and only just B or Y. However, Melbourne, Los Angeles would be wide open all the way down to O class. And in a situation like that, you wouldn't be able to sell the fare out of Sydney. Um, so in a case like that, um, where Qantas does let you have O-Class on the Sydney Melbourne because you are connecting to international, uh, then you know, they would obviously be uh, able to pick up that sale to Los Angeles uh, rather than pick up a, a sale to just Melbourne. Yeah, it makes sense. So a negative about married segments is that sometimes uh, airlines also use that to uh, block uh, inventory. And uh, a classic case of that is when, for example, uh, Cathay Pacific, I know Cathay Pacific does this as well as Japan Airlines. And so they may manage their inventory in, uh, at least in conjunction with, say, their local tourism bodies. And so they might uh, have a certain quota for a number of people that they want to have a stopover in Hong Kong or in Tokyo. And so they may set inventory aside and go, say, and sorry, and say that um, we want X amount of inventory to go to stopover traffic and X amount of inventory to go towards uh, through connecting traffic uh, where you'd simply be in transit in Hong Kong or Tokyo. And so in, in cases like that, um, you may find it goes um, in one direction or the other. You know, you might find times where you want to transit Hong Kong and there's, you know, uh, very little availability left as far as um, through connecting uh, inventory. However, if you were to then do uh, instead look at it, say Sydney, Hong Kong, and then you did say a two-day stopover in Hong Kong, and then continue to Hong Kong to your destination, um, then you might find the inventory might be quite plentiful. And so uh, that difference in fare uh, may well just as well pay for your hotel in Hong Kong for the night or two. Okay. So going back to your original example of Sydney to Los Angeles via Brisbane, does this mean that if, if you were to, say, book a, a flight from Sydney, Brisbane, Los Angeles, and then you did, for some reason you couldn't take the Sydney to Brisbane flight and you wanted to change it just to the direct Brisbane, Los Angeles, dropping that Sydney to Brisbane flight, could the airline actually charge you more for that? Yes, that can absolutely happen because when you sell a Sydney, Brisbane, Los Angeles or Sydney, Melbourne, Los Angeles um, or Sydney, Auckland, Los Angeles for argument's sake, um, basically that is sold as a married segment pair. And so you can't just simply just cancel one segment um, out of the two and only fly one. Um, what that would require you to do is essentially cancel the Sydney, Brisbane, Los Angeles and, uh, and rebook from current inventory, whatever that may be. 
uh, that also would have the effect of potentially raising your costs. I mean, if the flight is still quite empty, then you might find the same inventory still around. And so therefore you might be able to convert the Sydney, Brisbane, Los Angeles into just Brisbane, Los Angeles quite easily with minimal costs other than a change fee. But uh, if it's been several months and um, uh, some of the inventory is dried up, then you might find it, it might be quite a costly change because of the fact that the uh, discount availability is no longer there. Yeah, and I guess um, availability aside, I mean, in this example, the fare from Sydney to Los Angeles is probably quite similar to the fare from Brisbane to Los Angeles, but there might be other cases where the fare, um, if you're just booking it as a direct flight, would be very, very different. Um, an example of that would be uh, when I had Matthias on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, uh, and he talked about the person who'd flown from Oslo to Seattle uh, via Frankfurt. Um, the fare out of Oslo was about a quarter of the price of the, of the fare out of Frankfurt if you just booked that the second leg of that. So I guess that's where married segments can uh, come in. Now, Alan, are there differences between the way that married segments are applied on commercial or revenue airfares um, as opposed to award tickets? The concept itself is uh, very much the same. However, um, we've definitely seen cases where airlines have uh, applied or made use of uh, married segment logic a little bit differently. For example, uh, since the Asia miles changes um, on, with Cathay Pacific, uh, a lot of the inventory out of Hong Kong seems to have dried up uh, mysteriously. So uh, if you were to look at, say, um, Hong Kong to London on, on the 11.55 p.m. flight uh, out of Hong Kong, there'd be no availability. But if you then look at, say, uh, Singapore-Hong Kong connecting to that exact same Hong Kong-London, then you might find it's wide open um, with award inventory. You, know, you could possibly see even eight seats available in business class. Um, or even if you looked at a Bangkok or Manila or Taipei or anywhere other than Hong Kong, then you might find there's suddenly uh, a lot of inventory available for awards. Um, and I have a feeling that is to do with um, constraints that uh, Cathay Pacific is trying to apply to their own members uh, locally in Hong Kong, which uh, is a bit of uh, is quite disappointing for sure, um, but potentially a bit of a boon for us uh, who where we might be able to originate from somewhere else or connect from somewhere else. Yeah, Cathay Pacific, I think, is where I've seen this applied most commonly. Like, you quite often see that there's no availability from Sydney to Hong Kong, for example, but then if you add on a flight through to Europe, then suddenly that Sydney-Hong Kong flight becomes available, and there's many other examples of this as well. Uh, what other airlines use married segments? Do all airlines use it? Not every airline does. Uh, I know Qantas, to an extent, uh, they kind of do, but they kind of don't. There's Their situation's a little bit complex. I've seen cases where with Qantas... Uh, if you search for availability from, say, uh, Los Angeles to Hong Kong by Sydney, you'll see the availability. Um, but then if you search the legs individually, they won't be there. But even though where you try and sell in the Los Angeles, Sydney, Hong Kong, it will actually sell and it won't actually marry the segments together. Um, other cases like uh, Cathay Pacific, Finnair, Japan Airlines, Qatar Airways, um, American Airlines, they are all examples of uh, carriers in one world that do use married segments for awards. And so uh, therefore it does pay to search uh, out of other cities as well, uh, particularly if you've got some flexibility in terms of where you might originate from. Um, and it tends to be that on most of these carriers, um, if you're originating from somewhere else um, and tra simply transiting their uh, gateway or their uh, home base, you tend to find more availability than if you were to simply just uh, originate in, say, Tokyo for Japan Airlines or Hong Kong for Cathay Pacific as a result. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess this is uh, something that I find searching for award flights to be very, very frustrating. And I'm sure a lot of people do as well. Um, you might find that there's a perfect flight, but then it's not. it doesn't actually connect to the flight that's uh, coming from where you want to start or vice versa. Uh, and I guess there's also the chance that often you're going to miss things that are actually available because um, it's 
it's just it makes it a lot more difficult to find what's out there when you've got all these intricate connections and and uh, segments being married together or not married not being married together. So it's a bit of a nightmare, but I guess it's just as long as you're aware that it's happening, then um, you can kind of try and work around it. And Alan, does it make a difference when you're searching for for flights or for award availability um, where the point of origin or the point of commencement is? Yes, uh, this is starting to become a thing um, in the industry and uh, it definitely affects both commercial tickets as well as award tickets. Uh, So in cases like um, Japan Airlines, I know it definitely does this, uh, as well as Singapore Airlines. Uh, Qantas, I don't think I've... Actually, no, Qantas does do it. Uh, American, I haven't seen them do it. Uh, British Airways, I haven't seen them do it. Um, But uh, this is definitely something that's forever changing. I think it might be something that... uh, you know, whilst we're talking about this now, this might be something that will change in, say, three months' time. But uh, essentially what uh, point of commencement is, is the start of your uh, booking. So in other words, it, that is dictated by the first flight in your booking. And so the availability that you might find for awards uh, may differ depending on what your first flight is. And uh, these days the system is actually smart enough to send your entire booking or what you've already got in the booking to the airline when uh, – when you're actually querying for availability. And so therefore you might find times where um, you might go on, say, the Qantas website and search for an award from uh, Singapore to Tokyo. And so because you're searching for just simply Singapore to Tokyo, it will give you uh, the availability based on Singapore being the point of commencement. Uh, And so the availability that's available for Singapore, Tokyo, when you're uh, starting in Singapore, you may see that there's eight seats available. However, if you are, say, in the middle of building a uh, one world award with uh, using Qantas points, your origin may well be, say, Sydney or anywhere in Australia. And so your first flight, for example, might be, say, Sydney, Singapore on queue of 81 on Qantas. Uh, and therefore, you might uh, then call up Qantas or try and change your booking online and uh, add the Singapore Tokyo and find that uh, they can't see any availability or the website can't see any availability. And that will be the reason, the point of commencement will be the reason why the inventory isn't showing because you're starting in Australia. And so um, this is especially important if you're trying to change a booking or if you're building a multi-segment award like a one-wall award. Um, you know, if your point of origin is Australia, say Sydney in this case, simply searching for an award from Singapore to Tokyo will not actually give you accurate availability to what you can actually use. To get around that, um, with a lot of websites that allow uh, multi-city searches like the Qantas website, what you could do to um, to test out whether uh, it is available in your point of commencement. Say, for example, if you're doing Sydney, Singapore as your first leg, and so therefore Sydney is your point of origin, what you can do is uh, do a multi-city search, put in Sydney, Singapore with some arbitrary dummy date. It can just be an economy award for, uh, for argument's sake. It doesn't have to be the correct class. Um, so. If, your flight, the first flight would be Sydney, Singapore, and your second flight would be, say, Singapore, Tokyo, uh, with the actual correct date that you are looking for an award. Goodness me. Now, Alan, another thing that I wanted to talk about was the Qantas fare to Europe via South Africa. And a lot of the time um, when people travel from Australia to Europe, it's, it's, I mean, and it makes the most sense, people travel via Asia or the Middle East. But Qantas also offers a fare via South Africa where you fly uh, Qantas to Johannesburg and then British Airways to London. So, Alan, what, what is this fare and uh, how can we book this? Uh, this is a regular fare that Qantas has had available quite, for uh, quite some years now. Um, you've, uh, you can generally fly from uh, Sydney to 
Johannesburg uh, on QF 63, and then you can stop over in Johannesburg uh, and visit South Africa before continuing up to London on British Airways from Johannesburg to London. Um, recently, uh, Qantas has added another option. You can actually now go Sydney to Johannesburg on Qantas um, and do an open jaw to Cape Town uh, separately. So you know you would buy your own ticket, or you might do that um, by tour or car or any other uh, method of transport, uh, and then you can then fly Cape Town to London on British Airways. Um, so that might be uh, that might be good for someone who wants to visit both Africa as well as Europe in the one trip. Uh, essentially, do a, uh, a a bit of a triangle trip. Qantas only allows you to go via um, South Africa in one direction. So if you take the South Africa option on the outbound, you're not allowed to uh, come back via the same routing on the inbound. You must come back via Asia or via the Middle East. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you can essentially build yourself a little circle Indian Pacific, uh, sorry, Indian Ocean fare. Um, so you, know, you could go from Australia to Africa to Europe to Asia and back to Australia, essentially visiting four continents um, in one go. Sounds like a pretty good deal. What kind of pricing are we looking at? Is it about the same as going just direct with Qantas to London and back? Uh, at times, it can actually be cheaper than going straight to London and back, uh, depending really? on availability. For example, uh, if you find that you know there's uh, very limited availability going um, from Australia straight to Europe, uh, you may find that you know going via um, South Africa, even if you're only transiting, um, may offer you better availability because you know it might be say low season in South Africa, uh, and so therefore potentially it might be cheaper. Although it, it, does involve a lot more flying. Um, you know, you are talking a 10-hour flight on British Airways and a 14-hour flight or 13-hour flight, depending on the time of year, um, to Johannesburg. Yeah, I think that's still a really good deal, though, and uh, and a great opportunity to visit South Africa as well. If you are looking at doing this, could I highly recommend you do it on the outbound via South Africa because then you get to take the QF63 over from Sydney to Johannesburg. Um, Pip might not realize this this uh, flies pretty much over Antarctica. So during the middle of the flight, because the, the the depending on the winds of the day and so on, but if if it's the right time of year and you get good weather, you can actually see the icebergs uh, for a good portion of the flight because you are traveling so far to the south. So if you take that flight and get a window seat on the left-hand side, that's a, also a really unique experience um, and not something you'd usually get to do on the way to Europe. Uh, this is definitely something that's... Uh of interest to me personally as well. Uh, I, re I recently in July flew from Sydney to Johannesburg and whilst we flew far south enough to actually uh, see um, the ice shelf, unfortunately it was uh, very cloudy and you, can, you couldn't see anything that day. Um, but however, I had a client flying on the exact same route the following day and uh, it was completely clear skies and they got to see plenty of icebergs. So it very much varies um, from a day-to-day -day basis. It might be completely cloudy one day and uh, completely sunny the next. Um, the best times of year for uh, for doing this tends to be uh, winter time, middle of winter, so July, as well as uh, December, January. Uh, these times tend to, um, on average, offer the best times to view the icebergs uh, from QF63. Yeah, and I guess there, there can't be that many other commercial flights that offer this opportunity. I mean, there's the Qantas flight QF28 from Santiago to Sydney, which is also a very southerly route. Um, I, I took that flight a few months ago, and we did actually see the icebergs. Um, although most of the other flights that cross kind of that part of the Southern Ocean are overnight. Are you, are you aware of any other flights, Alan, that um, offer that opportunity? Definitely not going that far south. Uh, I believe QF28 and QF63 are probably the two most southern uh, flights, or at least in terms of flight path, that go that far south. Um, QF63, I find, at least uh, looking on uh, websites like FlightAware, tend to, tend to have more of a habit of going further south. 
Yeah, and I guess those two flights being the being completely during the day. I mean, QF sixty three leaves at eleven a.m. and gets in at four p.m. You do it depending on the weather. You do have the best chance, I guess, on those flights of uh, yeah, seeing a bit of Antarctica. Uh, finally, Alan, I wanted to talk about some of the recent changes to the United Airlines Mileage Plus program. Now, yesterday, United officially got rid of award charts. So you now no longer really know how many miles you're going to be paying uh, when you're redeeming United miles to book a flight. Um, and they're also changing the way that status is earned from next year. So firstly, um, the award charts. Any thoughts about the removal of award charts for United Mileage Plus? I think it's quite an unfortunate change that um, it's going to become a, a very much smoke and mirrors in terms of um, you know how much an award's going to, are going to cost, and uh, I think it's a very slippery slope as far as you know not knowing how, what your what your actual target is if you're trying to earn enough um, points or miles to redeem for an award. Uh, certainly in Australia, we have a lot of um, people who have their lifetime aspirations to fly business class to London, for example, and you know knowing exactly what you need to earn and how far you're up from that target. Um, it definitely makes things a lot easier in terms of trying to um, earn an award. Uh, it's probably less of a, a problem for um, frequent flyers who do have high T status because no, uh, no doubt they'd be earning plenty of uh, points anyway. And so, you know, for a 40,000 point uh, mile uh, or point difference for a frequent flyer may, you know, maybe a drop in the ocean compared to someone who, um, you know, only flies once a year and doesn't have any status. Mm. And as far as I've seen, it only applies to. Uh, flights on United Metal for flights on partner airlines, even though they no longer publish the award charts, the pricing seems to be pretty consistent, though. At the moment, it seems pretty consistent, but if if we look at what Delta has been doing, um, I think it's um, I think it's anyone's guess really, you know, as to what's going to really happen. But uh, considering Delta has been been able to essentially get away with it, um, with variable um, pricing on, on partner airlines as well, uh, we may well see United uh, certainly look at doing something similar. United certainly has the uh, IT expertise um, somewhat to be making these such uh, changes. Do you think American Airlines Advantage is next? Americans always traditionally been a bit of a follower in terms of uh, changes to their program. They tend to have a habit of uh, copying what Delta and United tend to do. Um, we don't seem to ever really see any changes these days that American makes um, where you know they're the first one to make that change. No. Uh, that seems to have been mostly... Uh, Taken that that lead has been taken mostly by United and um, Delta more recently. So it's anyone's guess what um, American might do. But then again, there's a lot of things where American you know, hasn't actually copied United and uh, Delta just yet. Um, so it remains to be seen as what happens there. Uh, there's a few things you know that are still good about the American program that United and Delta haven't actually quite done or have gotten rid of. The other thing that's changing with the United program uh, from January next year is the way in which mileage plus elite status is earned. Uh, now, I, I have Premier Gold status with United, and I'm not f- keen on these changes at all. In fact, this is probably a deal breaker for me. I'm probably not going to bother renewing it from next year. Um, so they've, what they've done is they've um, removed the uh, Premier qualifying miles. So the number of miles flown is no longer relevant for earning status. They've changed Premier qualifying dollars to Premier qualifying points, and they've changed Premier qualifying segments to Premier qualifying flights. Uh, it's it's all very confusing, and the number of um, premier qualifying points that you earn is based on the dollars that you spend on United fares. 
if you're flying United, but also um, you can earn premier qualifying points on partner airlines. And it's it's a, basically a percentage of the award miles you earn based on whether it's a preferred partner or not. It's it's complete mess. It's a dog's breakfast. It's very, very confusing. But the, the other thing that's of interest, I guess, to Australians is the fact that they no longer have a waiver on this minimum spend amount, which is effectively what um, the premier qualifying points is. So... And you still have to fly the four United segments minimum per year to earn status. So it seems to me that it's going to be a lot harder to earn United status, especially if you don't live in the US and fly United regularly. Any thoughts on that? Yes, unfortunately, uh, United will be removing the uh, waiver that they've had for non-US residents uh, from meeting the uh, dollars requirement. Previously, United allowed uh, allowed you to still earn uh, elite status with them uh, without having to meet the dollars requirement simply because it's much harder if you don't actually live in North America to be flying United so much and therefore uh, buying so many United fares. The only exception case would be if you uh, lived in Australia and basically for work would shuttle back and forth between Australia and uh, North America. In such an instance, you might be able to get away with um, with that, with the changes. However, if uh, your flying mostly is a mix of, you know, say North America flying and Europe flying, um, then you might find it quite difficult to actually now meet the new uh, PQP requirements. Um, yeah. Overall, United is expecting that um, the number of elites will um, will reduce in each of their categories uh, or scale down in each of the categories into lower categories. Um, so I think it, it, at the same time, United seems to be also trying to trim the elite numbers um, and try and keep a cap on their, their highest tiers. Yeah, I guess, re- I guess making it harder to earn status is one way to do that. Um, interestingly, uh, American Airlines and Delta in the US both also have minimum spend requirements, but Delta... Uh, does have a waiver for non-US residents and American Airlines doesn't. So, yeah, United now is getting rid of that as well. I wonder if Delta will will follow with that. This will be something that uh, I'm sure will be uh, closely watched by those who live in America. Um, you know, that, um, that foreign uh, resident waiver was often... Uh, in some ways misused by some uh, some people in that live that do live in the US where they would simply um, you know evade the uh, the need to spend the dollars uh, by you know essentially shifting the residents of their um their account to a foreign country well Alan Lamb thank you very much for coming on to the AFF on air podcast once again uh, can you let people know where they can find you Yes, uh, so my agency is uh, NetWave Travel, and you can reach me by email uh, at alan, that's A-L-A-N, just one L, at netwavetravel.com, or you can uh, private message me uh, directly on Australian Frequent Flyer um, under the handle Mad Rooster. Thanks very much, Alan. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this fortnight's interview. That's it for another episode of AFF On Air. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything in today's episode, you can check out the episode notes where you'll find a link also to an AFF thread where you can discuss anything from today's episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do leave us a rating and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. Uh, By doing that, you'll help us to reach more Australian travellers, so I'd really appreciate that. And we do read all of the reviews that come in. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips, and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, happy flying.